All right, get your Bibles out. If you are at home or in mask service or here, turn to the book of Hebrews late in your New Testament. I brought a box along this morning that normally is right above my head when I sleep. A number of years ago, I made a bookcase headboard uh, for Betty and I because we were in a tiny bedroom when my parents were living with us and we didn't have room for nightstands, so we have the bookcase and the lights and the switches and everything all in our bed. And this is a, this is a full. <laughs> this is a, book, uh, a, a box of cards that have been given to me by my wife, by my children, my grandchildren. Uh, you only make it into this box if you actually write something on the card, though. <laughs> if you just buy a card and give it to Grandpa, it doesn't make it into the box. I told my kids years and years ago, I don't want any gifts. Don't buy me Christmas presents, birthdays. Just give me a card. That means the world to me. And so I've kept the best of the best over the years. And the Christmas, birthday, anniversary, most of them are from Betty. And... Uh, I keep them close at hand because every now and then I pull them down and I read them. And I'm reminded of the love of people that love me. So this one, I pulled one out kind of at random. This was maybe three years ago from Betty on our anniversary. Dear sweetheart, with every anniversary I fall in love with you all over again. I fall in love with the things that attracted me to you in the first place, important things like your values and character Little things like the touch of your hand and flash of your smile. Uh, And I'll skip a bunch. With every anniversary, I'm more grateful I found my friend, my lifelong love, my heart's every desire in you. That's my love box. And I love to read it and love to read that people love me. Don't you? If you're married, don't you love getting something from the person that you're married to and they tell you they love you and they tell you why they love you. There was a book written about 80 years ago in France entitled The Little Prince. It was a children's book. I'm sure the author had no clue it would become so popular. In fact, it's so popular, it is the second most translated book in the world of all time. Now available in 301 languages. Second most translated book. Can you guess which book is the most translated book? The Bible. In fact, not even close to The Little Prince. Last August, we kind of hit a benchmark. Last August, the completed Bible was finished in the 700th language. 301, 700. And there's another uh, 1,551 languages who have the New Testament. And in addition to that, around the world today, there are thousands and thousands of Christians who have packed up, left their homes, left their families behind, gone to the other side of the world, some of them raising their children in very primitive situations to translate the Bible. 2,731 Bible translations, projects taking place right now. And in some of those cases, the people had to come in to a culture that had only an oral language. They didn't have an alphabet. They didn't have uh, 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 anything in writing. 
And they've had to, first of all, learn the language themselves, then they have to create an alphabet for it, and then they have to reduce that language to writing, and then they have to teach the people to read, and then they give them a Bible. By the way, if you happen to be pretty interested in writing, and you understand how subjects and predicates work together and modifiers like adverbs and adjectives and you like to read and you like to write, you might be a Bible translator in waiting. And if you want to find out a little bit about that, I'd love to talk with you. And we have Scott and Melissa Zook here who served with Wycliffe Bible Translators for over 20 years and Uganda and Tanzania, and they would love to talk with you about it. And we also support another uh, family, the Lorais, um, who are down in uh, Waxhaw, North Carolina, part of a Wycliffe Arm. He puts together um, smartphone apps to share Bible stories in other languages. Why, why would people go to so much trouble for a book? Why so much effort put into translating a book? There was a book written about 400 years ago called Don Quixote by a Spanish author. And I'm sure he had no clue it would become so popular. And today, that is the second most bought book of all times. Half a billion copies of that book have been made and sold. If you're an author, I always wanted to be an author. If you're an author and you sell like 100,000, not many authors get to that point. Half a billion. I know it's 400 years, but still, half a billion. It's the second most sold book ever. Do you know what the first is? The Bible. Guesstimate, but five billion copies. Versus half a billion versus five billion. Why so popular? Why is this book so popular? We're going to talk about the Bible the next three weeks. Why is so much effort put in, into making it accessible to people of all languages and all cultures? Why are so many people buying the book? That doesn't even count the people who receive the book as gifts. It's because the overarching message of the Bible, there's a lot of messages in the Bible, I get that, but the overarching one is this. It's a message from God. I love you. I love you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 is our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. And before we read, let's ask God for his help. Father, the Bible says in the first chapter, In the beginning, God. You always were. And then you got down to work. And you made everything. You divided the waters from the dry land. You made morning and evening. The first day, you flung the stars and the sun and the moon into the heavens. And to describe this, Moses writes, and God said, 
let there be. You spoke and all these things happened. You spoke and the seas filled up with fish. You spoke and the air filled up with birds. You spoke and the land filled with animals and reptiles and insects. You spoke. You spoke. You spoke. And we want to just give you thanks for the incredible power of your voice this morning and give you the praise that it was is due you for not only making but then talking not only making stuff and making people but then speaking to us and we pray that you would do that again this morning in Jesus name amen Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Just a couple of verses this morning. This is the one regret I have as I come to the end of my ministry this year. I never got to preach through the book of Hebrews. Mm. Somebody told me this morning there's still time. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days... He has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. My first point is taken right out of this text. The third and fourth words, God spoke. God spoke. He's a speaking God. He's a communicating God. The author doesn't bother to demonstrate it. He doesn't bother to defend it, to debate it. He simply declares it. God spoke and God speaks. He spoke in the past, verse 1, he spoke in the past uh, many times and in many ways to our ancestors. This is a, a Jewish writer probably writing to Jewish people. So he's speaking explicitly about the Jewish Uh, ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the whole Israelite family, through the prophets. Now, however, having said that, I still read this for Keith, my ancestors, meaning the people of God, because after all, we are the people of God, even though many of us do not have Jewish blood. So he spoke to uh, the followers of God in ancient days through the prophets, He's speaking primarily about God's voice uh, in the Old Testament. So we read the Old Testament. It's full of prophetic writings just for fun. Name Name a couple of the prophets. Just call them out. Moses, what? Isaiah? Madeline? Samuel. I can't hear very well anymore. What else? Amos. Loudly, I can't, really literally can't hear. Ezekiel, yeah. Any, any others? Joel. And, and there's some prophets that we kind of forget are prophets. Guys like King David, he was considered a prophet. Uh, the, the, writers, the writers themselves, you can just go through the Old Testament and, and tick off the names of, of these prophets. I'm going to go down just a little rabbit trail here. 
there is a, a, it seems to me anyway, there is a growing belief on the part of some Christians that we really as believers in Jesus Christ don't need Genesis through Malachi. Why not just cut the thing in half or cut the thing in two thirds and a third? It's a lot lighter Bible to carry around and Jesus, it's all about Jesus. There's a couple of reasons I think that's problematic. Well, for one, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 verse 10, he says, all these things happened to Israel. So we have a lot of history of Israel in the Old Testament. All these hap- things happened to teach us. So we would be missing some of the things that God wants to say to us if we simply get rid of Genesis through Malachi. There's even a more important reason. I'm going to have you turn to this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 is literally one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Matthew 5 or 17. I remember having a Greek course when I was in seminary and we literally devoured this verse for the entire semester. It's, I'll say it this way, it's the most important hinge verse in understanding the Old Testament, New Testament and the relationship between the two. So Jesus said, and he's speaking mostly to Jewish people, I have not come to abolish the law. So we could say, I've not come to abolish the Old Testament. Jesus was talking about the law of Moses, but that was the main footprint of the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. You see, Jesus never intended to start a new denomination, if you want to call it that. There's Judaism, and then we get to the New Testament, and now we're going to be Christian. There's a reason that people who are of Jewish heritage, if they come to faith in Jesus Christ, call themselves completed Jews. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to replace the law. And so you you have a far greater delight in and appreciation for Jesus. That means a lot, right? If you understand and see what God was building up to through the people of Israel for 1,500 years, from the time they left Egypt until the Messiah showed up. For example, uh, to to read the early chapters of Leviticus and and see this is what's required if you're going to give a sin offering, this is what's required if you're going to make a guilt offering or a burnt offering, And you see, for example, that many times the animal required was a male. A female wouldn't do. And lo and behold, the Messiah comes on the scene and and it is which gender? A male. And you had to pick a sheep or a goat from your flock that was without blemish, no flaw. It couldn't have a limp. It couldn't have a a rough patch in, in its side where it had a close encounter with a Uh, uh, a lion or something had to be without blemish and then the Messiah comes on the scene and he goes to the cross having lived 33 years without blemish tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin and that was necessary because he couldn't be your Passover lamb and pay for your sins unless he was sin free himself 
And, and, and you, if you simply read those, those descriptions of offerings and the qualifications of a sacrifice by themselves without seeing the, the bigger picture pointing toward the Messiah, you won't, you'll be bored to tears. But if you read the New Testament and you see all that was true about Jesus and then go back to your Old Testament and go, oh, wow. <laughs> and you read about David's up and down and up and down in the book of Psalms, you know, and he's feeling bad and he's feeling guilty and he's feeling neglected. Now he's high and the, the stability's just not there that all of a sudden the God who never leave you and never forsake you in Christ is now in you. I mean, you just can't get the fullness of your salvation and of the glory of Christ in you apart from the Old Testament. So don't stop reading the Old Testament. One more thing. In the early church, the earliest book that we have in the New Testament was written somewhere around 49, and that was a letter, around 49 AD. So 20 years after roughly 20 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And even that was a letter, so it wasn't being reproduced and, and moved around a lot. The first 20 years of the church, they had one Bible. And it was Genesis to Malachi. And even Jesus, remember those guys on the road to Emmaus right after Jesus was raised from the dead and they were crying the blues because Jesus had died and they didn't recognize Jesus. It's apparently some change that takes place in the glorified body. So they didn't recognize him and they're talking with him and they're so down in the mouth because Jesus died. They thought and hoping that he was going to be the Messiah to deliver Israel. And the Bible says that Jesus then took the scriptures Old Testament's the only scriptures at that point. He took the scriptures and he explained to them all that had to happen to the Messiah from the Old Testament. We would do well to learn some of our Old Testament. That was the church's only Bible for 10 years. God spoke and he still speaks to us through those prophets. But the writer of the Hebrews had a, a bigger concern moving from the spoke to the speak. Verse 2. God used to speak this way. God spoke this way to the people in the past, our ancestors now in these final days. And you could take that phrase, final days, and start it at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ. The final days encompasses all this time from when Jesus left until Jesus comes back. Now in these final days, God has spoken to us through his Son, through Jesus Christ. So the messenger has changed. We went from prophets to Jesus. And you might ask, well, wait a minute. What about the apostles that write in the rest of the New Testament? Why doesn't he say God speaks to us through the apostles? Because you know, all the apostles did was interpret and explain Jesus Christ. We have the Gospels that tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ while he's here on earth and then acts as the beginning days of the church of Jesus Christ and then the rest from Romans to Revelation is all about explaining why Jesus did what he did and how all of that affected you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So the messenger changed. Did the message the messenger changed, but did the message. 
And our instinct is to say, yep. Yep, you used to be saved by works. Now you're saved by Jesus. Wrong answer. Do you remember what, it said, what Paul says in Romans chapter, I think it's four. He says, Abraham believed God and that belief or that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, years ago, thousands of years ago, before Jesus came on the scene, Abraham put faith in God and God checked that off as his righteousness. We don't have time to unpack the magnitude of this, but we'll touch on just a little bit. In Jesus Christ, would you agree that God has communicated this message, I love you. Would you agree with that? Sure. John three sixteen. say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, we've mentioned this last week. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait till we got our act cleaned up. And, and just fun fact, did you know that in John's first epistle, he virtually says the same thing in 1 John 3.16 that he says in John 3.16? Take a look. It's fun. Fun fact. 1 John 3.16. Um, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We know what love is by watching what Jesus did for us. And what Jesus did for us was God declaring, I love you. Now you might say, yeah, but that's not the Old Testament message. All right, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter three. So God's created man and woman. Chapter two, he gives them one command to keep, just one. Wouldn't you just love to only have to give your child one command? They can do anything else they want. Just keep, honey, just do this one thing or just don't do this one thing. Well, if Adam and Eve are any example, it wouldn't help. One thing, couldn't keep one command. And God shows up and the judgment begins. Eve, this is what's gonna happen to you and all the women that come after you. Adam, this is what's going to happen to you and all the men that come after you. Planet, this is what's going to happen to you from now until I restore the planet. And Satan, you took the form of a snake. The snake is going to crawl on its belly from now on. And you, Satan, listen to this. You see that woman over there that you tempted? She's going to have children. And her children are going to have children. And her children's children are going to have children. And somewhere down the line, one of her descendants is going to rise up and go to war with you. And you are going to injure him, but he is going to destroy you. 1 John 3, 6, the Son of God came to destroy the works of whom? The devil. The devil. 
I don't know where you could find a more profound declaration of God to the world of I love you than in that. I I mean, here are these two human beings that he made and he made them to worship him and to love him and to serve him and instead they went off on their own and even in the middle of judgment, he says, I'm going to do this for you. It's a huge mistake when people look at God in the Old Testament and say, he's, he's a bad guy and he doesn't love us. And we got the New Testament and then we found a God who loves us. Listen to Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. And th- these words actually are repeated numerous times in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. It's God's self-description. So God had given Moses 10 commandments Moses comes down off the mountain after meeting with God and, and while he's gone, the people have just gone nuts. They've been having a party and they've been having an orgy. Sexual promiscuity and, and they've made a, a God, they've made this golden calf and they're worshiping it. And Moses is livid, breaks the Ten Commandments, these stones in his anger. And so he gets another set and he chisels them out. And when he does, God meets him. This is what he says. Verse six, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. In other words, he's identifying himself. And now he describes himself. I am slow to anger. Men, are you slow to anger? Women too, but it's, Often a male thing, isn't it? This God that we serve is slow to anger and filled with unfailing, unfailing what? Love. This is Yahweh, God in the Old Testament, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish, overflowing, unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I mean, even the law, even the law is a manifestation of God's love. Can you imagine? So there's all this conversation in our country that just blows my mind about defunding and now even abolishing the police. Can you imagine living in a society like that? For God to give his people the law was an incredible gift. So we're protected from others, but God gives the law to protect us from ourselves as well. How many times have you pursued something that years down the road, some, uh, I wanna do this, and somebody tells you it's not a good idea, and years down the road you, you look back and say, wow, that was really a bad idea, but at the time I was determined. The person that plunges the needle in their arm for the first time with heroin, those that love them try to tell them, don't, don't do that. That's not going to go well for you. Are you kidding me? I've heard what it's like. And man, the first time that heroin hits the system, the euphoria is off the charts. And the conclusion is, the assumption is that the people that were telling me don't do that were, were, didn't love me because they're trying to keep me from doing what I really want to do. 
But the people that love you try to keep you from doing what is destructive to you. The law was a gift to the people in the Old Testament. Even God's commands in the New Testament, a gift to us. If you believe that what God says tells you no, I don't want you to do that, is he's spoiling your fun. All he's doing is trying to get between you and a train wreck. In, in every case. He's just trying to get between you and disaster. Why? Because he loves you that much. Law, manifestation of God's love. I, I, I think that the psalmist understood the magnitude of God's love so well that this is why he says in Psalm 1 verse 2, he meditates on the on the law of the Lord day and night. Day and night. I wonder, Christian, if that's true of us. I don't mean that you're reading the Bible all the time, you quit work and all that, but I mean that you're, you're drinking from this fountain and you're eating from this banquet regularly because you believe that God loves you. You see, the, I wonder how many of us get up in the morning, and I hope you get your Bible out in the morning, but I wonder how many of us get up in the morning and we open our Bible, we might have a cup of coffee here, and, and we are looking for something maybe other than what God wants to say to us that morning. Maybe that's not the way to put it. If we are looking for um, things that are not the main thing that God wants to communicate to us that morning. So maybe we're looking for new things. One of the interesting things I've discovered over uh, my years in talking with Christians is the um, deep desire to learn new things. And so there, for, for some of us, we just want to find something new in the Bible. And if we don't find anything new, it's just kind of ho-hum. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, he says, I, I want to teach, I want to say these things to you, even though I know you already know them. I want to tell you them again and again. In fact, I'm going to tell you them over and over until I die. Why? Because they're the most important things. The, the curse of novelty is a problem in the Christian church today. I've watched this in 30 years of ministry, how some Christians get sidetracked on, on these little side issues and they, that becomes big and becomes central. The gospel gets eclipsed maybe by certain spiritual gifts or by a deliverance ministry. And by the way, I believe all the gifts are available. It's, that's not the issue. I'm talking about the preoccupation with some things or something like inner healing or, uh, I mean, I, I probably have a, a repertoire of a dozen things I've watched Christians pursue over and above the gospel. Novelty is, is not a great uh, pursuit for us. Yeah, we learn things as we read the scriptures, but the, the foundations, the, the central things are the things that we need to hear about again and again and again and read about and, and devour and drink in and, and eat in our souls. 
else. Or maybe we go to the scriptures in the morning uh, primarily to find out something that we shouldn't do or something that we should do. Again, nothing wrong with that. We should hear God say, do this and don't do that. My my concern is if that's primarily what we go to the word to get, can't you see how that could feed into works righteousness, which we are totally wired for, right? We are totally wired to believe and think, and even though we know the gospel, to go back to again and again thinking, I need to impress God. My, God's, God's impressed with me by virtue of what I do right and what I don't do that's wrong. And so if that's my main motive when I open this book and listen to God, it can feed on that. And we lose the nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Or maybe we just want a daily fill-up. I hope if I read my Bible in the morning, my day will go better. I'm like a car and I tank up in the morning. Maybe it's because we think God's looking over our shoulder and scowling if we don't read the Bible. So if I read the Bible, God will give me a check mark or gold star and he'll make things go better for me during the day as if that's his goal. Or maybe I think that, you know, this is a little like a massage or a cup of coffee in the morning or a cup of tea. If, if I start with this, then I'll just be calmer during the day. Listen, I, I mean, would you, you who are married, if you talk with your spouse in the morning, would you ex- expect them to be responsible for you to be well-mannered, well-tempered through the day and not go bonkers? That's... It's not what this is for. My personal favorite is magical thinking or magical advice. I don't know what's going on here. You know what I mean by that? You go to the Bible, you kind of treat it as a magical device. Here's an example. So about four years ago, I replaced Betty's car and I was trying to decide between a Honda Accord and a Toyota Camry. I'd never had either a Honda or a Toyota, so I didn't really know anything about them. I just knew they were really reliable and we're getting older and I want my cars to last longer and longer and longer. Now, if I would have approached the scripture as some people do sometimes, and I happen to be reading in the book of Acts, for example. So that morning I'm reading Acts. Conrad, you already know where I'm going, don't you? Acts chapter one, verse 14. So Jesus has gone back to heaven and all the followers of Jesus are together and they're praying and so forth. And it says they were all together in one accord. (laughs) And I might've gone, oh, Honda's the way to go. Instead, I drove both cars. And after I drove the Accord, I went back and drove the Toyota again and thought, yeah, I was right. This is way better ride. I bought the Camry. We could talk about a lot of these things. Here's where I want to go with this. I think we should open up this book and expect to hear God say to us, Keith, I love you. Allison, I love you, Chris. I love you. And I pray.
proved it in my son. And I want you to read and reread about what I did for you in my son. I want you to know the magnitude of my love. I want you to delight in the fact that I am now with you 24-7 in the person of the Holy Spirit because you put your faith in my son. I want you to know that a day is coming when I'm going to escort you into my presence forever because of my love for you in Christ. I want you to know that the resources I have at your disposal are literally endless. I want you to know that I would never visit evil upon you so that when you go through tragedy, you know that I have not rejected you nor have I abandoned loving you. And that's why we should get this book out every morning. There's a little booklet available for you back at the information center I wrote years ago, might be 20 years ago now, called Through the Bible in Six Years. And it has uh, a schedule. I'm not a big fan of reading through the, completely through the Bible in a year simply because it becomes a, uh, a task to complete instead of an opportunity to listen to God. You just like try to buzz through it. And I want, I want God to be able to speak to me and that takes usually shorter bites so that I can meditate on, I can pray through some of it. And uh, it has a year one, year two, three, four, five, six. And um, you get a mix each year of Old Testament and New Testament. Each year you'll read through uh, a couple of books uh, repeatedly. So every year you'll read through one of the gospels. Every year you'll read through Acts, you'll read through Genesis, you'll read through Romans, Ephesians, and Revelation. And then the rest get mixed up through the year. And then there's, uh, for each book of the Bible, there's a paragraph or two description of that book. And then uh, at the end, there's uh, some instructions how to read or study the Bible for yourself. And uh, you may want to pick that up to help you in your, uh, in your Bible study. I, I just can't, if you've been at Keystone any length of time, you know this looks like a broken record for me. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. He said, why? Remember when Jesus was battling Satan, Matthew 4, 4. And Jesus said to him, he said, people do not live by bread alone. If somebody would tell you that you have to eat the way you read your Bible, Would some of you go hungry? If you crack your Bible once a week when you come to church service, would you eat like that? And Jesus said, we don't live by food alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's, that's our food. And I want to encourage you as you read your Bibles to look for the fingerprints of God's love. Let me just give you an example of what I mean. I, so this morning in my daily worship, I finished up 2 Corinthians and moved on to a few verses in Galatians. And here's, here's two examples of fingerprints that I saw. 
So the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here, send, we'll have another sermon on sacred kisses. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then I got over to Galatians. Verse 3, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. I don't have the word love in, but in that love that, that God, like Abraham didn't, God sacrificed his own son to rescue you. Do you see what I'm talking about? Looking for the fingerprints of God's love in the scripture. And, you know, I have stuff highlighted and underlined in my Bible. And maybe you can write little notes in the margins of your Bible and so forth. I can't stress enough how important it is to revisit the good news of Jesus Christ. As I touched on earlier. I, I, I wonder how many of us have at some point or another, as we're reading the Bible, become bored. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I've been there, done that. I came across this article this week from one of our free church writers. And I thought, wow, this is spot on. He says, when we forget the essentials of the gospel or fail to grasp the wonder of the gospel by exploring the richness of God's word, we naturally lose interest in it and turn to pursue something we think to be fresh and original. We foolishly tire of the only one who can sustain us. Just as the Israelites tired of God's sustaining provision of manna in the wilderness. In our folly, in our, in our foolishness, we seek to add something, anything, that might ameliorate the flavor of the seemingly bland grace we have failed to savor. And that simply, ameliorate simply means to bring out the taste in something that seems tasteless. We foolishly tired tire of the only one, capital O-N-E, Jesus, who can sustain us. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, one of the famous journalists of Britain in the last century, he was actually, his writings were responsible for appointing C.S. Lewis to Christ. Someone asked him one day, if you were marooned on a desert island and you could only have one book with you, what would it be? And somebody standing nearby, knowing Chesterton, he was a devout Catholic Christian, knew he was a Christian, said, oh, you'd probably say the Bible. And he goes, no, I would, I would want to have the manual on how to build a boat. Because that's what my most immediate need is. Our most immediate need, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday, is to hear from God. 
And what more glorious message to hear. Sometimes it means more than it does other times, granted. But oh, to hear that message, I love you. My wife and I have been married almost 49 years. And I tell her four to six to ten times a day, I love you. And she does too. And I never tire of hearing it. And as believers, I don't think we ever tire of hearing it. But sometimes we simply block out the means by which God sang it. And Father, my prayer would be for all of us that we would rediscover our Bibles, that we would view them as the love language letter that they are. And that in your love, our joy would be full. Our confidence in Christ would be complete. None of this Jesus plus half of what I do thrown in for good measure. And that we would not only in heaven enjoy the fullness of your love. But even in these final years before we see Christ face to face, know, experience, delight in, and yes, be satisfied in your love. In Jesus' name.